The following sermon by Nelson Atwood was recorded at Noble Park Evangelical Baptist Church. For more information, please visit their website at www.noblebaptist.org.au. That's www.noblebaptist.org.au. You never believe it, but I am so anxious to get started in the book of Ephesians that I just was going to go right ahead. But that's, that's good. It's a great hymn to sing, Speak, O Lord. And it is the desire of our hearts as we open the Word of God that God would indeed speak to us this morning. So meanwhile, back in your bulletin, there is this white uh, folder there. On the inside of the folder, I have given you an outline for the whole book of Ephesians. And what I've done is I've taken uh, John Stott's outline from his little commentary called The Bible Speaks Today, The Message of Ephesians. I've adapted it quite a bit and I've expanded on it, but I did want to give credit to him because it was the start of what helped me understand and break down the book of Ephesians into a logical structure. I won't do this every Sunday, but it will be there occasionally just to give you kind of an update. I'll put in bold text where we are that Sunday, what we're preaching on. This morning's message is basically an overview and then a focus in the last little bit on the life of Paul. Why study Ephesians together? I want to give you three reasons why I want to do the book of Ephesians. It's this. Number one, I want in my own life, and hopefully you and yours will also want a better understanding of my Christianity. I want to understand better my life as a new creature in Christ in order to live it out to glorify God in everything I do. I want us as a church to understand our new life as new creation of God. What was the source of our salvation? What is the role, our role in salvation? How was our salvation accomplished? What is the purpose of our salvation? What exactly have we been called to and called to do? Second reason is this. I want a better understanding of the church. I want us to understand better the doctrine and the practice of the church as the new community of believers created by God in Christ Jesus. How was the church created? What is her makeup? What is her composition? What is her purpose? What's the purpose of the church in the day we live in? How does she function? What are our roles as individual believers inextricably linked to the church? What is the heartbeat of the church? And Ephesians is going to answer, in part, many of these questions. Third reason is this. I have a concern for the church. The church as I hear, I don't mean this church, I mean the, the wider universal church. As I watch and observe and listen This church is shifting steadily away from her scriptural basis, the goals and functions that Christ has given to us in his word for the church. The structure and the organization of the church is being laid out in scripture is being disregarded. The scriptural practices of the church are being set aside for what is socially and culturally approved and acceptable. The standards and practices of Scripture are being overturned in favor of what modern society sees as appropriate, whether or not the Scripture allows for it or speaks to it. We want, I believe, looking around Noble Park, talking with many of you, 
praying with you. I can think I can say with good confidence that we as a church want to be as pleasing as possible, both as individual believers and as a church in this community. We want to be pleasing to the Lord in everything that we do. I think it's fairly easy and fairly safe to say that. Now, how are you going to get as much as you can out of this sermon series? Number one, read the text ahead of time. Uh, I'll be working through, and it'll be going not that fast. You'll always know where I'm at in the next couple of weeks just to read through ahead of time. Get familiar with the text. Pray for the ministry of the Holy Spirit to teach you and to teach others, to teach us all the truth of the Word of God. One of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to teach us and lead us into all truth. Ask Him to do it. Listen, take notes. We give you these to take notes on. You don't, if you don't want it, that's fine, but it will help you to remember things. Uh, at Casey Bible Church, there was a young girl there, and she's not here this morning, but she used to take notes. I'd say, if you have anything you don't understand, come and ask me. And she'd run up to the front after church, and she'd go, okay. And she'd open up her page, and it would be covered, like every little point written sideways, backwards, upside down. And she'd have three or four questions, and she'd go away better understanding the text. Do it. If you don't understand something I said, come and find me. Sometimes I speak just a little faster than other people do, and maybe you might miss something I said. Come and ask me. Search the scriptures yourself to find the answers to those questions. What you'll find is one question will lead to another, lead to another. Chase it out. Work it through. Understand. The more you engage in the messages, in the text, the more you will get out of it. All right? Listen to what the Spirit of God is teaching you. Read and reread the letter in your spare time. Most importantly, you can learn it all, but if it never makes its way from here out to here and down here, it's not going to do you much good. Put it into practice. And that's the best way you can get the most out of the series. Well, my goal for today is to read the book in its entirety. You heard me correct. We are going to read the whole book, Ephesians 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6. It takes about 12 minutes. At the rate I read, I can probably do it in about four, but then you couldn't understand it, so I'll read a bit slower than usual. I want to give you an overview, a sampling of the message of the book, and then to focus in on the first sentence and see in Paul the new creation of God, the new life in Christ. I want us all to be challenged right down to our socks this morning about where we stand before the living God. In the article... And here I put in this one, it's, Am I Truly Saved? The article in the the bulletin. There'll be a series of these. And what I did a number of years ago was preach a sermon series, just a brief one on 1 John, and seven tests to know that you can know whether or not you are truly saved. We are challenged in Scripture. Examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith or not. So I'm going to give you over the next couple of weeks in these articles seven tests that you can take to be sure that you know whether or not you're saved. All right? Keep that in mind. I want you to imagine as a first century church, imagine the back door of Noble Park Baptist Church bursting open and a young messenger comes hurrying through. He hands a scroll to the pastor, he quickly opens it and begins to read. And then with great excitement, he gathers all the church together and he rushes forward and says, Listen, Paul, the apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, has sent us a letter. 
What they would do in those times is they would sit down together and the pastor or the elder would read that letter through in its entirety. And to use Paul's words, he said this to Timothy, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and to teaching. So this then is the reading of God's Word. We're going to read the whole book together. Okay, here we go. Chapter 1 and verse 1. I'll give you a couple of markers as we go through, in case you get lost, to pick up where we are. Okay? And he writes and he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in us when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we also lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children 
of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated up seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now... In Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father, So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Chapter 3 and verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known by, to me, sorry, by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to us, to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord 
in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you now to not lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height, and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Verse chapter 4 and verse 1. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds up itself in love. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created off the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Verse 25 of chapter 4. 
Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and clamor and anger and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partakers with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light." For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them, for it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. 22 of chapter 5, he says, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church." because we are members of his body. 
Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each of you, each one of you, love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Children, chapter 6, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, that there is no partiality with him. Verse 10 of chapter 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand, withstand, sorry, in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Verse 21, so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with you all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Isn't that great? It's absolutely majestic when you read that. To see the whole message and realize that God has created something new. We are new creatures in Christ. We have been included in a new community, the church of the living God. The church which is the combination of all believers from all times and all spaces and all places. They're all going to be one. And a day to come, we're going to be gathered around the throne. And all those people will be gathered before our Lord Jesus Christ and we will see him as he is. And Paul is writing this to us because he wants us to live in the full understanding of what it is to be truly saved. 
I want to give you a basic summarizing of the message. The message of Ephesians can be summarized like this. Christians, saints, are new creatures in Christ for the purpose of living to the praise of the glory of the grace of God who made us alive in Christ. You know how badly I want to stop halfway through and just kind of just rejoice over some of those phrases? That's what we've been created for. He didn't just save us so he could put us in little boxes and we could be little Christians running around doing little Christian things. He saved us that we might be to the praise of the glory of his grace. Sitting down there this morning, you know what through my mind? How great a sinner I am before God. But how much greater is God's grace? How much greater was his kindness toward us, toward me? I'm the worst sinner I know. But what a great Savior we have. That He saved us. Why? Because somebody put a gun to God's head and said, you better save Nelson? No. Because He saw one little thing in me that was worth of something? No. He saved me because He had kindness and mercy and love on a totally undeserving sinner. We are new creatures in Christ. We have been brought into the community of Christ called the church, which is the Father's family and the Son's body and the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are new creatures in Christ. We're called to live according to a new standard of behavior that reflects and portrays Christ. We're to put off the old person and put on Christ. We as new creatures in Christ are called to reflect and portray Christ in our relationships, our marriage relationships, our family relationships, and our work relationships. And finally, as new creatures, we are to be armed and prepared and ready to fight the warfare of spiritual battles. Ephesians, to sum it up, is all about the new creation of God in Christ. Go through your book of Ephesians. It takes 15 minutes. I think I just want to time myself. It's about 15 minutes to read through. And mark in your Bible. Take a little pen and mark all the times you see in Christ or in Him when it refers to Christ over and over and over again. Paul will say that same thing. It's all about being in Christ. I want to give you three things. I do want us to take, have us take home a message this morning from the text. Three things I want to give you. They're all about the life of Paul. And the first sentence in the Bible, in the, in Ephesians 1, sorry, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. If you have your notes here, there's three main points there. Paul, number one, dead in sin, without Christ. The second main point is this. Paul transformed by beholding the glory of Christ. And thirdly, Paul, a new creature in Christ. So first of all, there he is, Paul. Who was he? Where'd this man come from? He calls himself Paul here, but in, in all his New Testament letters, he always refers himself to Paul, the apostle, or Paul, the bondservant of Christ. But we do know that Paul had two names. He was born with a Jewish name, a Hebrew name, Saul. And he's also had what they call a cognomen, which was his Latin name, which is Paul. And halfway through the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 13, I believe it is, the Bible says that Saul, who was also called Paul, and they carried on. And from all the rest of the way through the New Testament, he's simply known as Paul. Saul, by the way, in case you don't, don't remember, the first king of the Old Testament and the, the people of Israel, he was the great big tall guy. And I think Saul has something to do with height and stature. But you know what Paul means? 
little. I thought, that's cool. Because most of you don't know this, but Paul was a fairly short guy according to tradition. But he also saw himself as little, as small in the eyes of God. He said, I'm Paul. For simplicity's sake, as we go through this, I'm just going to refer to him as Paul all the way through just to save the confusion. Um, in Philippians chapter 3, verses 5 to 11, it tells us much of who he was. Take your Bibles and flip over to Philippians chapter 3. We'll read verses 5 to 11 just to get a flavor of this man and a sense of his, what it was to come to know Christ, to be a new creature in Christ. Let's read verses 5 to 11 of Philippians 3. He says, actually, let's read back a bit. We'll read uh, verse 4. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised in the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake... I have suffered the loss of all things. I've lost my place, I'm sorry. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection of the dead. Notice, first of all, he was born a Hebrew of the Hebrews. That means he had pure Jewish bloodline. Unlike many of the people living in Palestine, many of the Hellenized Jews, their bloodline back to Jacob or even Abraham was somewhat tinted by uh, other nations marrying into the Jewish. But Paul said, no, no, no. I can trace my history all the way back to Abraham. I have absolutely pure bloodline in the Jews. He says, I'm a, I was circumcised the eighth day. What's that mean? His parents were covenant-keeping, law-keeping parents. He came from good religious Jewish stock. His parents weren't those who had gone off and abandoned their Jewish faith. They lived it out to the full. He says, I was of the tribe of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. He could trace his lineage all the way back. We know he was a Pharisee. Now, he was one. The idea of Pharisee is one who is set apart to the law of God. It was the most popular of all the sects within Judaism. He was a devout practitioner of the law. Some of you may know that the Pharisees added something like 648 additional laws to all the law of Moses. They called it the kind of the protectoring law. So to keep them from breaking the law, they added all these other laws as a layer to keep themselves from breaking the law of God. He was a Pharisee. Pharisees knew far more of the Bible than most of us will ever know in all our lifetimes. They learned, some of them memorized vast portions of the Old Testament, that thick side of your Bible. They knew it by heart, some of them. They were the ones who were the closest to our Lord Jesus Christ in their doctrine and their theology compared to all the other sects in Israel. But they missed the point. 
The reason why you see Jesus in the Gospels so often combating with the Pharisees and going back and forth against each other, he hardly ever spoke to the Sadducees and the Herodians and the priests and the Levites, but he was always going at it with the Pharisees. Why? The reason is the Pharisees were so close to Jesus in their doctrine and theology, but like the old saying goes, so close yet so far. They completely missed it. They were pursuing righteousness by the keeping of the law. To Saul the Pharisee, Paul the Pharisee, eternal life was achieved by devout keeping of the law. They missed it because they were so close but so far away. He was also, we know from Acts 22, a Roman citizen. Now, there are different levels of Roman citizenship. You could be a Roman citizen that got given his citizenship by a gift from the the Caesar or one of the other higher-ups, or you could be born into it. So unlike many of his other fellow Roman citizens, he was born into Roman citizenship. He had the highest level in the place of society and anywhere around him, especially amongst his people. He was a Roman citizen. He was a pure Jew. He was a Pharisee. As he says, in regards to keeping the law, I was blameless. You pull Saul in front of the courts and say, well, he broke this. He could say, no, I didn't. And he could prove it. He was absolutely blameless before the law. He was also highly educated. We know from Acts as well. He was trained at Gamaliel's feet at one of the greatest teachers. It's like going to Oxford or Cambridge or Monash Uni, one of the best unis around, wherever it is that you have as the highest uni around. That's where he went. Gamaliel was one of the most respected teachers of his time. And Paul could say, I went to his school. I was in the top of my class. He was highly educated. I have a suspicion. You see, you can't prove it. And I said, no, I can't prove it. But given what Paul was doing, given when he was doing it and where he was doing it, I would suspect that Jesus and Paul came face to face somewhere along the course of Paul's life. You say, you can't prove that. No, I can't. But when I get to heaven, I might actually ask Paul, did you guys see each other prior? It just makes sense. He was there at the right time. But Paul was trained at the feet of Gamaliel. He had a zeal for God. He wasn't just a cultural Jew. He wasn't just a guy doing the thing, you know, eating the food, going to the feast, singing the songs, clapping her hands, woo-hoo, go home again, do his own thing. No, he was a zealous guy. He had an absolute zeal for God. He was so zealous for God, and he so much hated these ones who were followers of the way. He persecuted them to the point of going into their homes, grabbing them, dragging them out. Some of you remember some of the stories coming from behind the Iron Curtain when the church was being persecuted in Soviet Union and places like that. Soldiers going into homes, dragging Christians out, beating them up. Paul was known. He actually says, I beat them. He was so zealous for God. He was willing to do this. He even went to the point of saying, it isn't enough just to get all the Christians in this city. I'll get letters of authority for the high priest. I'll go to another city and I'll beat them up over there as well. Paul was zealous. And you know what? At approximately 30 years of age, Paul had it all. He had wealth. As a tradesman, a Pharisee, a Roman citizen, he had a highly regarded education. He had connections and influence with the powerful and the elite. He knew the word of God backwards and forwards. He was zealous for God, but he was radically misguided. He was also spiritually 
dead in sin. Absolutely dead. You read Ephesians 2. When he writes those words there, but you were dead in sins and trespasses, spiritually dead, cut off from God, without hope. That's what he says. That was Paul. He knew much about God, but he did not know God. Notice, secondly, Paul's conversion. If we go over to the book of Acts in chapter 9, the Bible tells us about how God met Paul on the road to Damascus. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, But God, being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved Paul, even though Paul was dead in sin, God made him alive. What does that mean? That means that God literally reached down to the heart of Paul and the one who was spiritually dead, he touched him and he killed him in a sense and he made him alive. He raised him again in that sense. He made us who were dead, he made Paul who was dead alive in Christ. Paul was confronted by the glory of the risen Lord Jesus Christ on that road. He was transformed from the heart outwards like 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. That was Paul's experience. He wasn't just writing it for us to listen to. He could say, that was my experience. I saw the glory of the Lord. My eyes were blinded by it. But God met him and God confronted him. He knew about his sin. Brothers and sisters, listen. One of the things that really concerns me, and especially here, I don't want to pick on anybody, but especially among some of the younger generation, my generation and down. You hear stories of conversion, and one thing I find very frightening is the lack of the mention of a realization of their sinfulness before God. We have made a fundamental error in the church. We have begun to preach the gospel and push sin away. We make the gospel about all about how God wants to give you a great life. God wants you to have the best of everything. We want, God can complete your life if you just trust in Jesus. Like everything else is okay. Just add Christ to the mix. Heresy is what that is. Sorry. But it's true. Paul understood his sin. I was listening to a young lady telling me a testimony last weekend. And she was telling me about how she was confronted with the grace of God. And what deeply impressed her heart was her own sin. And she sat there in her chair weeping because of her sin. Martin Luther used to roll around the cell of his, of his little monk cell in Germany back in the 1500s. And before he came to know Christ, he would roll around his cell groaning in the middle of the night, my sin, my sin, my sin. He couldn't get over how great his sin was. And after he got saved, he said he could hear him as he prayed on his knees in the middle of the night, the grace of God, the grace of God, the grace of God. Paul was confronted in that moment. He saw his sinful state. 
Paul saw himself as dead in sin. He makes so much of that in Ephesians 2, Romans 1 to 3, Galatians and so on, all through his epistles. The issue of sin is brought up again and again and again. And it must be brought up with, we must be confronted with our sin. And one of the things we're going to see as we go through Ephesians is the reality and the importance of being confronted with our sin and the absolute glory of the holiness of God. Thirdly, Paul the new creature in Christ, and now he is radically different. He doesn't look the same. I mean, his physical appearance, face and stuff, looks the same. But he's so different. Everything about him has changed. He is an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Everything has changed. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 17, 5 and verse 17, sorry, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creature. The old is gone. The new has come. Listen, God did not do what he did just to restore us, brush us off, dust us off, polish us up, and prop us up again. No, he did what he did to make dead creatures live. If we are in Christ, we're new. He goes so far as to say the old has gone, the new has come. Paul saying, I'm a new creature in Christ. I'm an apostle. Everything has changed. Notice in back in Philippians 3, 7 to 11. Look at his perspective. Whatever gain I had, wealth, position, power, prestige, connections, all of it, he says, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of their surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Paul's saying this, everything that makes me something in this world, if I translate literally, the King James gets it right, I count it as dung to me. It's nothing. I want to get rid of it. He pushes it away. Why? That I may know Christ. That I may know Jesus Christ. That's what he wanted. Whatever gain he had, he counted as loss for Christ's sake. Not just some parts of his life. He counted everything as loss in comparison with a deep, intimate knowledge of Christ Jesus Lord. He counted as loss, as rubbish, as human waste. His encounter with Jesus Christ so radically changed him. He was regenerated and transformed. And that he regards everything else. It's just useless. Get rid of it. Paul's encounter with the glory of the risen Christ left him with an overwhelming desire to know Christ more and more. I confess in my own walk with the Lord, years and years ago, probably 25, 26 years ago, sitting in a church hall, listening to what became a very good friend of mine named Jonathan Brower, preaching a message, and he preached that one phrase, that I may know him. And I realized, you know what? All these things I was hanging on to, all my little favorite hobbies and sinful habits and little idols that I wanted to keep, and I wanted to keep just enough of me inside the Christian door that I looked apart and could sound the part and walk the part, but I wanted to keep on to everything else, that sin that I wanted for myself. He said, it's all rubbish. Get rid of it. Push it away that you might know Christ. Paul is radically different from a seething hatred of Christ to rejoicing in Christ. You love the way he writes? 
He starts off, you know, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and what Paul would do is he would dictate the letter and someone, a scribe, would sit there and he would write out the letter as Paul dictated. And I can see Paul as he starts to think about all the glories of his salvation and he just starts to overflow with joy and praise. And he walks back and forth a little faster. He starts speaking quicker and quicker. And the poor scribe is writing like mad, trying to get it all down. There's smoke coming off his pen because Paul is just so overwhelmed and so rejoicing and so exulting in his salvation. He just can't stop himself. You know how many times he just breaks into a benediction halfway through the letter? Why? Because he's so in love with his Lord Jesus Christ. He's so rejoicing in the salvation that he has. He just can't stop himself. I'm not a charismatic person. But sometimes I wonder if in losing some of that zeal and trying to be conservative and stiff and rigid and straight, nothing wrong with those things. Don't get me wrong. But sometimes you just want to break out with a hallelujah. Paul just overflowed with joy from seething hatred of Christ to rejoicing in Christ to praising God to exalting over the person and work of Christ to beautiful prayers of worship <clears throat> sorry intercession to God through Christ to preaching Christ his Lord Christ in him crucified Paul is a new creation of creation of God in Christ Jesus from hatred and persecution of Christians to love and ministry for them did you ever notice he was carrying letters with him to go to a city when God met him and confronted him and changed him and saved him. What's he do now with letters? He sends them to Christians to encourage them, to build them up, and to and build up their faith, to teach them about Christ. Paul is a new creature in Christ. Well, let me ask you the question that I'm dying to ask you and dying to ask myself and provoke us. Do you and I know Christ? Do you know the Lord? I don't just mean know a lot about Him. I have a, a favorite pop group. This is probably to ruin your opinion of me, but that's all right. Um, band U2. used to like listening. I had U2, every album going, all that stuff. You ask me a question about Bono, the singer, or Edge, the guitar player, I could tell you so much about those guys. I knew where they were born, where they lived, their school, and all that stuff. If you ask Bono, hey, how's your friend Nelson? He'll go, who? I don't know any Nelson. You see, I know Sunith. I mean, we've met, we've talked, we're slowly building a friendship. He's a musician. I'm not. We'll still get along. That's great. I know him a little bit. Now, I know my wife. I can tell what she's thinking when she gives me one of those looks. I know that without even seeing her, her love for me has not changed. I have a deep, intimate knowledge of Hev. Listen, it is very possible for you to go through your Christian life, I'll use quotation marks, in the mistaken thinking because you know a lot about God, that you know God. The Pharisees know more scripture than you and I will ever know. The demons know more theology than you and I will ever know. And they don't know God. They're not saved. They're lost. 
And I think it will be the absolute tragedy of a lifetime to go through a church existence, a church life, with a church full of people that know so much about God, but know nothing of God deeply, intimately, and personally. My passion, in case you hadn't picked up already, is the glory of God and knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Paul says, I know him. I want to know him more. So my question to all of us is, do you and I truly know Christ? Can you and I truly say from the very depths of our soul, as the Spirit of God is our witness, He is my Lord. For Him I count everything else in my life as rubbish. I know He has blessed me with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. I know He chose me. I know He's adopted me into His family. I can pray and call Him Father. Because he is my father. I know I have been redeemed. I know I have been forgiven for my sin. My conscience is clear and clean before God. My guilt is gone. I know whom I have heard and in whom I have believed. Can you truly say this morning like John Newton as he wrote the hymn, I once was blind. But now I see. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was dead in sin, but now I am alive in Christ Jesus. It is all because of God's mercy. It is all because of His great love with which He loved us and gave His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. I am a new creature in Christ. As we start this series in Ephesians, I want to challenge us all, every last one of us. I don't care if you're an elder or a pastor or you just walk in the back door for the first time. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians, examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith or not. Take a long, hard look, brothers and sisters. It would be the greatest tragedy, like I said before, to go through your whole life thinking that something is true and discovering too late that it's not. Take a look at 1 John. There's all kinds of tests in the 1 John book that will help you to discover and determine for sure whether you truly know the Lord Jesus. If you cannot say for sure that your experience is that of God, to know Him like that, But if there is within your heart a burning desire, you feel the Spirit of God drawing you, pulling you close to Him, I plead with you, cry out to God for forgiveness. He will open your eyes and you will see. Cry out to God for forgiveness of sin, to be made a new creature in Christ. He will do it. He is drawing. That's the one that's drawing you closer. If you're not sure and if you need some help, you got questions you want to ask, please don't walk out that back door. Come and find me. We'll sit out. I'll stay here all night if I have to, to talk with you and pray with you and show you Scripture and help you see what it means to truly know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior.